You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Read from verses 5 to verse 15. Jesus teaching the disciples about prayer. (coughs) When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now I want to uh, offer to look at this uh, in terms of prayer and to uh, offer some basic practicalities as regards prayer. (coughs) Much of this is from uh, Calvin's Institutes, but also uh, I got this wee book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life by Mike Reeves. And it's a tiny wee book, and there's a whole bunch of them at the back, and you can have one for free as a gift, as long as you promise to read it and uh, to use it. Because it's my belief that the weakest part of our life as a fellowship, the weakest part of uh, my life personally, and perhaps yours, is prayer. Now, some of you may be what are called great prayer warriors, and that is fantastic. But many others struggle with prayer. It is almost inevitable that the least popular meeting in any church is the prayer meeting. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a biblical perspective. So I thought I would, what I would try and do is um, offer some basic guidelines on this and maybe I'll I'll put these up on Facebook as well, taken from this scripture, from um, Calvin's understanding of it as well, and from Mike Reeves' wee book. Now, the first and most basic question is simply this. I'm sorry, yeah, I need to go on. Why pray at all? Surely if God knows everything and God knows our hearts, why do we pray? Why can't we just go on in the confidence that, well, God knows, so I don't really need to bother? Because why do you talk to someone? You talk them to tell them what you want. But if they already know, why pray? Well, Calvin deals with that and says simply, the first reason for praying is as we pray, it stirs up our own hearts to burn with love for God. 
If you don't talk to someone, how do you love them? It's when you converse with someone, when you talk to them, and when they answer you, that it it clarifies things. We are um, feeling beings. We are emotional beings. We are uh, intelligent beings. We are made in the image of God. And some of us will say, I mean, I, I hear people say this kind of all the time, well, I know that God loves me and I just get on with my life. But the question is not so whether, much whether God loves you, but whether you love God. And you pray so that you would be drawn closer to God. The second thing is you pray so that it would expel wrong desires. It is very difficult to have in your heart things that are wrong when you are praying. And I suspect that that's the reason that some of us really struggle with prayer because we hold on too much to the idols in our own hearts. Prayer has this marvelous effect that this love that you feel for God expels. It's what Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. It expels wrong desires. Sometimes people will go to God in prayer and what they'll want is they'll want a particular, to get rid of a particular temptation and that's what they pray about all the time. That's a mistake. It's better that we have an attitude of prayer and a desire for prayer that gives us a love for God and it's that love for God that drives out the wrong desires. Prayer also gives us assurance. It prepares us to receive God's benefits with thanksgiving. We pray, and as we pray and as we receive, we know God's kindness. Now that is not just, that's not saying that everything we ask instantly we get, and therefore we know that God is good to us, but it's when we pray that we know that Uh, And we see how over a period of time God has answered our prayer. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes differently from what we've expected or what we asked for. But it enables you to see that the Lord is good. There's an assurance that comes along with prayer. And also part of that is we then embrace God's providences with greater delight. We're given joy And there's a confirmation that comes through prayer. When we don't pray, we are denying ourselves of all these things. Calvin sums it up in the phrase, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And Mike Reeves points out that prayerlessness is, in effect, practical atheism. Now, I don't know where you're at in terms of prayer. I know that there are some Christians who find prayer the easiest part of the Christian life. That's not my experience. For many people, it is the most difficult part. They struggle and they wrestle in prayer. But the sad thing is, for many people, it's the smallest part. Because we just don't do it. We... I don't know why. There are so many things that just get in the way. I had a, of a 
good friend who came down to the wee Saturday prayer meeting. And afterwards, as we were coming out, he said to me, um, do you know, this is the one thing in the week that gives me more joy than anything else. And I think prayer does that. It does give you more joy. And yet, for some reason, we back off. Now, to me, part of that indicates the reality of the devil. Because he doesn't want us to pray. And so he gets in our way. And our pride gets in the way. And so many other things get in the way. Now, in his section on prayer, Calvin then goes on to talk about some of the rules that we would have for prayer. And I thought, again, I found these really, really helpful. The first is this, is reverence. Our prayer is not to be undisciplined or irreverent or trivial. It is aided by the Spirit. Now think about it this way. We are entering into the presence of the Holy God. Prayer is not... I mean, I was asked to say a prayer for the graduation, and it was fine. You know, it was given to me. It was written out. I'm not saying they didn't trust me, but it was a written out prayer. And uh, other than the words, creator God, and I put on at the end, in Jesus' name, um, as well, because I've never prayed a prayer, not in Jesus' name, and I'm not going to start now, not for anyone. But to be honest, you could have just read it out and said, this is, uh, this is great, this is great, you're all a bunch of wonderful people. and you're all... There was virtually nothing about God. And in my view, that's, that's not really prayer. Prayer is about God and what God is doing. And it's pouring out our hearts to God. And it does mean that there should be a, a reverence. Now, Don't misunderstand the term reverence. The term reverence does not mean gloomy. It doesn't mean lots of big words. It doesn't mean you have to dress in a particular way. It doesn't mean that you have to take a particular posture. But it does mean this, that you revere the one whom you are addressing. You can call him Father. Because that's what he says, our Father in heaven. And that's a very intimate term. But intimacy doesn't take away reverence. If you have had or have good parents, you should revere them. You should honor them. How much more so God? And I think one of the problems that so many of us have in prayer is that we are irreverent. We think, oh, I'll just turn up. I'll just say whatever I want. I'll just go away. And we don't realize the awesomeness of what we are doing. Now, I know that there are some people who say, oh, well, you know, coming before God, I can't say anything I can't. And they're thinking about public prayer. I'm I'm saying that God invites you to come before his throne of grace. We approach that throne of grace to some extent with fear and trembling, but with joy. But it has always got to be with a holy reverence. The second rule that Calvin gives or principle is that there needs to be a sincere sense of want and penitence. The irony is that people who think that they can just come before God and tell him who he is or come before God and show off in prayer or come before God and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I don't sin like these other people. 
that person is not praying. The person who comes before God acknowledging their own weakness, genuinely acknowledging their own weakness, who comes before God realizing that without him they are nothing, that's when you really, really begin to pray. I sometimes think that, oh God, help, is probably one of the most sincere prayers that you will ever pray. Lawful prayer demands repentance. We always come before God with a penitent heart. Lord, have mercy on me. Third principle, we yield all confidence in ourselves and humbly plead for pardon. It is interesting that sometimes people will say, well, I can't pray because I'm useless. Or I can't pray because I'm rubbish. Or I can't pray because I don't know what to say. And the answer is, you can't pray if you don't realize you are useless. Almost the very criteria for prayer is you're coming before God with this sense of helplessness. You are bowing before God and you're saying, Lord, without you, I have nothing and I am nothing. Have mercy. The plea for forgiveness is always essential. But the fourth principle is that we pray with confident hope. There is a a reverence and a godly fear without terror. We come before him with confidence, without terror. I think if you begin to grasp who God is and how awesome the difficulties and the problems we face and the power of evil and the darkness of our own hearts and the light and purity and beauty of Jesus Christ, you would be terrified coming into his presence. Terrified. You could not stand. How do we come to God in confidence? Because he tells us to? Because of what Jesus has done? Because we boldly approach the throne of grace? Because Jesus died and ripped the temple curtain in two? Um, Going back to the the university graduation service. You know, it's quite funny how people who kind of say, oh, we're all radical and all this, they're still really, really into what I call the bells and smells. And, you know, you have the full robes and you do everything else. And and there's all these um, rituals that you go through. And there's the Latin song of uh, Dundee University, which I also thought was really quite funny because it says, um, basically, may God destroy uh, the... Those who hate students and the devil. So <laughs> that's, uh, it was an interesting prayer uh, being sung in Latin, but uh, it was there. And I, all, the, all the pomp and ceremony. Now, what do you need the pomp and ceremony for? Why don't you just have someone come and say, Well, here you go. You did really, really well. Congratulations. Take this. There's a bit of paper. Shows that you can be a doctor or a dentist or whatever. Isn't that wonderful? It's great. Why do you need someone? all dressed in different gowns and then clonk them on the head with this thing and have a mace come in and bow before the mace and do all of that. Now, again, I don't wish to be irreverent, though I was sitting up in the front trying to 
make one or two of our students smile as they came, which they did. But um, I'm not being irreverent in this. I'm saying, why do they do that? I mean, in some sense, you, you like the pomp and ceremony. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to create a sense of awe. They're trying to create a sense of reverence. They're trying to say, this is something really great. This is something really valuable. Without being cynical, they're saying to the parents who poured in thousands of pounds, it really was worthwhile you investing this in your children. Look at what they've done. Isn't this great? Isn't this grand? And in a sense, it is. It's a grand setting in the cared hall, and it's a grand ceremony, and so on. But it's not real in the sense of grandness. I mean, I was very proud of the students uh, from here that we knew, the work that they've done and that they've graduated, and sincerely pray that God will go on and bless them in what they are called to. But the reverence that we have for God is not created by a grand building or by fine clothing. The reverence that we have from God is from knowing who he is. We pray with reverence. We pray with confident hope. Let me say just a couple of other things encouraging us in our prayers. First of all, God hears defective prayer. Sometimes people say, I can't pray because my, I can't pray because my prayers are not, you know, they're not great. They're not perfect. Well, all our prayers are defective. All our prayers come from a broken life and a broken heart. Come with minds that have been twisted by sin. But isn't it wonderful that God hears defective prayers? It's like Jesus takes our prayers and he prevents them, presents them before the throne of grace. And God hears them. The Spirit helps us in our prayers. Second thing is, we pray in Christ's name because Christ is our mediator and Christ is our advocate. And Christ, in the words of the old King James Version, which I always loved, ever liveth to make intercession for us. I love the fact that when I can't pray, Jesus is praying for me. I love the fact that my stumbling prayers, my broken prayers, my confused prayers, my prayers with different thoughts coming in from all different angles, I love the fact that Jesus prays for and with me. I love the fact that I don't have to go to God and say, look, here's this wonderful prayer from this wonderful person. Please listen to it. That I go and I pray and I don't say, Lord, this is in my name. This is in the name of Jesus. I'm sure it was a mistake, but one graduation I was at, the graduation prayer actually said this, we praise you, O students, in the prayer. I was just, I thought, no. But actually, many of our prayers sometimes are like that, aren't they? It's all about me, 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 and my group, and what's happening. But real prayer is coming to God and saying, I have nothing to offer, even in prayer. Jesus, take and intercede. It's really, really nice. Not beyond nice. 
There are people in this congregation who I know pray for me personally regularly and pray for my family, and that, that's wonderful. And I know it's an encouragement to Charity and Laura that there are people here who will pray for them both where they're going. But how much more encouraging is it to know that Christ prays for us, that he knows us by name? Surely you have to believe that God hears the prayers of his Son. Now, just one or two practical things. There is private and public prayer. And I think we have to be careful when we're talking about these. It's easy, actually, to be a hypocrite in both of these. Private prayer is essential, but so is corporate prayer, prayer together. So I want to offer some things, some practical helps in terms of prayer uh, for you. And, And these have just been helpful to me, and I hope they'll be helpful to you. Firstly, A Christian should no more go a day without prayer than you should go a day without food, unless you're fasting, or a a day without sleep, or a day without any other of the basic things. You will, but I hope that it has the same effect upon you that going a day without food or a day without sleep will have, in that you so miss it. Daily prayer is so vital. Now, you can do it morning, evening, midday. You can do it different, different times, all different kinds of things. But I do regret that an old concept from the 20th century has kind of gone out of fashion. And it's the concept of the quiet time. Because ironically, I think this century, we need that concept even more. Because we are surrounded by noise and busyness and lots of things to do. Isn't it amazing? When I get on my knees to pray, the first thing that comes into my head is I've got this to do and that to do and that to do. Different concerns. It is important in different ways. How you do it, I don't think you can lay down laws about how it is done. But if Jesus needed to pray daily, then how much more? to you and I. But the second need that we have is weekly corporate prayer. And this is what I find stunning. And I actually don't have the answer to this. I'm not having a go at anyone and I'm not even speaking out of frustration. I don't know the answer to this. It puzzles me completely. Why has the prayer meeting become an optional extra in the life of the Christian? I don't understand that. Because the prayer meeting is... As someone has said, the engine room of the church. And you are missing out on so much if you do not meet with other Christians to pray with them. In uh, this church, we have a Saturday morning between 8 and 10, even just coming along for half an hour. Or Sunday morning at quarter past 10, coming along even just for a few minutes. And I know that there are people who will say, well, those times aren't appropriate for me. I can do it at other times, maybe. Or even that people say, well, my life is a constant life of prayer. And I'm, forgive me for being cynical, but I I doubt it. I really doubt it. If you can't meet with fellow believers to pray, why would we believe that your life is a constant prayer? 
One of the greatest gifts that God has given us in the church is corporate prayer. To me, not praying together with your Christian brothers and sisters is like somebody who belongs to a family and never eats at the family table. You belong to the family, you're in the same house. But it's like having people living in different rooms, maybe occasionally getting together for that dreaded family meeting, but never actually having fellowship together. You never have so much fellowship with somebody as when you're praying with them. Thirdly, I think it's a great thing to have prayer partners. Now you can make it formal in terms of mentoring or whatever way you do, but you need to have somebody in your life who you can pray with and someone who you can phone up and you can say on a Saturday night, I am really struggling. Can you please pray for me? And someone who you can go to and say, what can I pray for you? Things like prayer triplets and so on. It's very important to have people that you can genuinely ask to pray for and you know that they're going to. I find myself getting into this habit of saying to people, I'll pray for you, and then not doing it. See, that's a lie. It may be a well-meaning thing, but it's a lie. Why am I going to say I'm going to pray for you and not do it? It just became an expression. And so, uh, for me, I've had to start thinking a lot more carefully about what I'm saying to somebody, what I'm promising, because it's not a light and trivial thing. Fourth, it's very helpful to read prayers. Now, from my brethren background, and then Baptist, and then Free Church, the idea of reading prayers, that's papish. You know, you don't do that. You know, even the Lord's Prayer, although it's in the back of the Westminster Directory of Public Worship, and churches are supposed to, to say it, even that, I was still a bit, you know, it's a bit iffy. People just, can they just pray their own words from their own heart? But you're young and foolish, and you mature. And, of course, reading prayers from other people, they can be immensely helpful. I use a book called The Valley of Vision, and it's been a lifesaver to me. The Anglican Book of Common Prayer was almost a literal, a literal lifesaver because when I was seriously ill in hospital, Animal gave it to me, the, she had a wee thing of it, and I haven't stopped using it. I use it every single day. The collects in it uh, from Cranmer are just breathtaking. I don't know what to pray sometimes, and there's just that Two, three sentences and just pray them. Of course, written prayers can be formalized, but then so can unwritten prayers be formalized. So can all the jargon that we use. And it's really helpful to have read prayers. And in particular, use the prayers of the Bible. And again, we have a prayer book in the Bible. It's called the Psalms. It's a prayer book. These are the book of the prayers of David. It's the titles given. Use the Psalms in prayer. So many times I don't know what to pray. I remember reading about Billy Graham, the evangelist. He said every single day of his life he read a proverb and he prayed a psalm. And I haven't done the proverb thing, but I I can't recall a day in my life when I haven't, I can't remember a day when I haven't read a psalm or prayed a psalm. I am so thankful to the Lord for the prayer book that he has given us, the the psalms. But not just the psalms, the prayers of Jesus, the prayers of Paul, the prayer of um, Elijah and so on. Learn these prayers and use them. 
it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who greatly helped when he said that uh, when you sing or pray the book of Psalms, you are praying the words that Jesus prayed. Because Jesus would have known every single one of them. And he prayed them. We know that. We know that Jesus prayed them. We quote him so many times. Another piece of advice would be to read one book on prayer per year. Again, it's not a great demand. And there are some really wonderful books on prayer. Um, There's a a book I found last year, very, very helpful. Paul Miller, uh, who wrote a, a book called A Praying Life. There are many older books and uh, contemporary books as well on prayer. Find a good book on prayer and read one every year and take notes on things that will help you. And then the last thing is use a prayer diary. Um, it's uh, what, what I mean by that, well, two things. One, keep a diary yourself. Some people keep a journal. But keeping a diary of prayer, don't just turn it into a list. One of the things that can help you with is as you look back over the years, you realize how God has answered prayer. Modern technology. This has really, really helped me. There's an app called PrayerMate developed by London, someone in London City Mission. And I, I was having lists everywhere, and it took me forever to write them out. But Prayer Me is fantastic because it's just helping me to regularly pray for people because I'm getting old and senile, and I, I forget people's names. And uh, I, I remember I loved one of the elders in Brora uh, one time said to me, uh, or he's praying, and he, he was beginning um, to lose some aspects of his mental faculties. And uh, he's praying, Lord, we pray for the, um, we pray for, uh, ach, Lord, you know who it is. We pray for them. And I thought that was lovely because it's a lovely childlike attitude. One time, actually, he prayed as well. Lord, as it says in your word, um, as it says in your word, ach, Lord, you know what it says. (laughs) Which was, again, absolutely lovely. And I loved his, his, his attitude to prayer. But I forget things, so it's, it's good to write things down. Something like prayer mate really helps. And uh, Elizabeth Williams has produced this, just going through the, the directory and just knowing of different things that are involved. Just a wee prayer calendar for St. Peter's. You should have that. You should stick it. You, know, you should have your own prayer calendar. Maybe you're not from this church, you're from another church, that's fine. Um, You should have one anyway to regularly pray for people. It is so encouraging. When when we had someone like Adam came here, it's so encouraging for him to meet somebody who says, you know, I've been praying for you. Now, I know this. I go all over the country, and because of my illness, it was great because, you know, there's one way guaranteed people will pray for you is if you're seriously ill. And I keep meeting people saying, oh, I was praying for you. Well, you're the guy we were praying for. And it's very, very encouraging to have that. So do think about a prayer diary. Not, not just a list. Don't make, just make a prayer list. Um, and don't be overwhelmed with things. But a very simple thing. Get a diary. Let it have 30 days in it or 31 days or whatever. Put down two or three names for each day. Over a month, you're praying for over 100 people. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's just a great thing to be able to do to help you. Remembering always that you're coming in to the presence of a living God. A holy God. But as we saw this morning, a generous God. Elizabeth sent me a, an email this afternoon which sums up exactly where I think the importance of this comes in. It's the story of Winston Churchill, who, whatever people may think about him, was a fantastic inspirational leader. And he was just great at rousing the troops, literally. And he went round the country, but he didn't just go around, um, you know, armies and so on. In particular, he went round the mining villages and the mining towns. And in a, a speech where he was speaking to them, he said, you'll be asked by your children and your grandchildren, what did you do to win our freedom in the Great War? And he said, some of you will say, I served in the Eighth Army. I served on submarines. I helped the wounded. And he said to the miners, you will say, I cut the coal. I cut the coal that fueled the ships that brought the provisions. I cut the coal. The coal on which the church is run. The energy, the dynamism, the center, the core, the heart of the church is prayer. Elizabeth said, and I'm quoting her, we need to fuel the church and nation by intercessory prayer. The greatest thing you can do for this country is pray for it. The greatest thing you can do for this church is pray for it. The greatest thing that you can do for your family is pray for it. The greatest thing that you can do for yourself is pray for yourself. It's really that straightforward and that simple. And I don't want to, I, I myself have gone many, many times feeling guilty. I don't want to fill you with guilt about it. I just want to say, it's a bit like swimming. Maybe you're really, really scared of swimming. Maybe you've never swam or the experience you've had of swimming has been a very, very negative one. And then you jump in the water and it's incredibly refreshing. And it, you think, why didn't I do this before? I don't know how many times I've come away from a prayer meeting thinking, why, why was I so reluctant to come to this? Why was I so scared? Let me add one footnote here. And again, please do not read between the lines. I don't do between lines. You'd have an, a heart attack if you thought I did. I'm, I'm not doing between the lines. I'm not picking on any particular individual. But I have to say this. If you are involved in Christian leadership, if you are involved on the CEO executive, if you are an elder, if you are a deacon, if you are involved in leading Bible study and you are not a person of prayer, you shouldn't be involved in leadership. You really shouldn't. It's the thing that you must get right. It's the thing that must come first. It's the thing that probably 
most people will not notice. But for your own sake and for the sake of those whom you serve and for the glory of God, it has to be the number one priority in your life. And please don't let it get to the stage where God has to push you so much to the edge that you have nothing else left to do but pray. If you're a parent, you know that the number one thing you do is pray for your children. If you are part of the family of the church, you know that the number one thing you do for this church is to pray. I sometimes hear people say, I can't do anything. I can't help with the the, the youth club. I can't do this. I can't do that. Maybe because of age. Maybe because of infirmity. Maybe because of circumstances. But what you can do is fuel the engine room. What you can do is pray. And everything else comes from that. And everything else without that is just hot air. It's not reality. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. This is how you should pray. Let's make, let's make it our, our earnest desire that we would be more a people of uh, prayer. And like I say, I hold my hands up and I say that for me, it's personally the greatest weakness, as far as I can see, uh, in my own life. And yet it's also the greatest privilege to be able to share and to pray and to pour out our hearts to the living God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Help us to be a people of prayer. Lord, for some of us, we're actually very disturbed by what we have heard because we know within our hearts that we are busy and we are active and we have lots to do and we have lots of good intentions. But somehow we forget to talk to you. We forget to talk to you about others. We forget to plead with you for ourselves and for our church and for your kingdom on this earth to come. Oh God, have mercy on us. The open door to the throne of grace was bought at an incredible price. Forgive us when we have cheapened that. Lord, thank you for those who pray. Thank you for faithful prayers that have been granted on our behalf. Thank you that prayers from people long dead still continue to have effect in this place and in our lives. And thank you that every moment in prayer is never a wasted moment, but carries a promise for eternity. Teach us to pray. Aid us in prayer. Help us. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. 
If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.